That's enough fellowshipping. All right, have a seat. You've talked enough. All right. I'm, I got, you know, uh, three hours here, and I want you to lock in. I told you I'd be out before. No, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, I, I say all the time, well, okay, some people are very excited about it, very cool. Uh, every Sunday is a Super Bowl for us, all right. Say this all the time. Anytime I get to come to the house of the Lord, anytime I get to worship, anytime I get to do this, it's a Super Bowl. We just don't get to throw a ball around today. But, that, you know, that's okay. You'll get to watch tonight. I'm sure it's going to be fun, exciting. Hopefully uh, you guys will enjoy. Your team will win and all that. But I, I want to jump into this. And last week, in, in the series that we've been in on Jonah, we're in a series called Jonah, uh, walking through this book, this story that's in the Bible. And what we do with these stories, that especially in the Old Testament, is we take these stories that God has given us and then we unpack them to say, okay, how can we apply this to our everyday walking around life? How do we apply this to our, not just on Sunday morning, not just on Wednesday nights, not just, but in our everyday walking around lives. So that's what we're going to do. Then we're going to take this story. I'm going to recap a little bit. Last week we talked about that God is a God of second chances. Are we not a thankful people that God is a God of second chances? Third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, 1,100 chances, right? How many of you have given somebody a second chance and it didn't work out? What about a third chance? There is a restaurant um, that I continue to give chances to. Do you do that? There's this place, and, 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 and it's no place in here. It's not Chick-fil-A. It's not Serrano's. I've, you know, I love those places. None of like that. But it's a place down the road. And it's a place that I go, oh, man, the last time they did not put this in the bag. They didn't put that in the bag. Have you ever gotten that happen to you before? Yes? And then you go say to yourself, you go, let me just give it another chance. And you sit in that line. And, and, and a lot of times it's like this. It's like the last time I was here, I was in this line for so long, 45, 50 minutes, an hour. That can't happen again. And you did it eight times. Anybody? Or is it just me? Anybody know what restaurant I'm talking about? <laughs> Whataburger. But I'm not talking, I'm not going to say it out loud. And you get there and you go, hey, did you get my, yeah, it's in the bag. It's in the bag. Okay, well, last time, we don't want to hear about last time. It's in the bag. And you get down the road. It's not in the bag. And the last time I gave them a, 15th chance, I trusted, I got the bag, I got down the road, and I had like four burgers, three, it was just for me. And I'm like, some poor family <laughs> just got a salad with extra chicken on it. And now they're all going, okay, you take this piece, you take, yes. And will they give a second chance? I don't know. All right, so second chances, we talked about that. And I'll go back to the word. Remember, God said to Jonah right off the bat, he said, hey, listen, I want you to go to Nineveh. A word came to him. God spoke to him and said, hey, go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach against it. And he said, okay, uh, I don't think so. And he ran. That's the whole story here. He took off. He was swallowed by a fish. And then he was then given a second chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and it says this in the text in uh, 3, 1 through 2. We looked at last week. For a second time. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. And this time he said, okay, uh, I saw what happened if I don't. And so he went, he went. So the city, um, this story, and today we're going to look at a city that turns from wickedness to repentance. 
And we're going to really kind of examine and unpack repentance today. The story of Jonah provides us with profound insights, you know, into God's mercy, the power of repentance, and our role in sharing God's mercy to the world. Because that was the whole thing. Hey, Jonah, I want you to go. And he said, mm, I don't think so. I don't think they need to hear this. I, I don't want them to hear this. They're not good people. They shouldn't hear this. They're bad people. And so I don't feel comfortable. I'm leaving. No, I'm sorry. God called you to do it. You're supposed to do it. So we're going to really unpack that today. Because God's heart is to restore us. Hang on to this today. God's heart is to restore us. I don't know what you need to be restored in. I'm not sure if I have to explain what restoration means. Most of us kind of know this, but God's heart is to restore us. And if you watch, and, and I like watching those shows where these people, and sometimes it seems, I mean, most 99.9% .9 of reality shows are fake. I don't know if you know this or not. It's not reality. I'm sorry. And some of y'all just went, no, yes, not real. And some of these shows that they have these um, things and, and they go to these houses, right? And they take this house that is completely destroyed, floors falling apart, walls falling down, all kinds of craziness. In like three days, they go, boom, look, restored, completely new. They don't lie. They didn't take no three days. But God can restore us in a blink of an eye. Isn't that something? Look at this. And this is the text that we're going to look at today. So look at Jonah. Go to Jonah chapter 3, 6 through 10. Jonah 6 through 10. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, 6 through 10. This is the text that we're going to unpack today. As we talk about God restoring us, as we talk about repentance. Okay, we kind of looked at it already. A little bit of what happened last week. Um, and then we get into this one. Now when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. So he comes, out of the, he comes off the throne. He took off his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sits down in the dust. Then he issues a proclamation to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast or herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and the beast be covered with sackcloth for everyone Call urgently, it says, on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And then verse 9, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And then verse 10, when God saw that they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. This is what we're going to unpack today. This is God's word. Pray with me. God, I pray that today as we unpack your word, your story of Jonah, in the story of the city who repented, a story of a city who turned, a king who felt your presence and he changed. Lord, will you change us today? Will you move in this place today? God, will you have your way today? Will you move with your spirit today in the hearts of every single person in this place? Not, not one of us leave this place unchanged. Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks. And all God's people said. So here's the thing. God gave Jonah, of course, a second chance. You know, and the first step of being restored, the first step of restoration, okay, to God is simple obedience. It's simple obedience. 
It's basically obeying. And we go back to, I think, the most incredible six words in this story is this. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Jonah 3, 3a. He says he went. He took off. He finally went. That, to me, is the most amazing thing because if we think about it, you think about your own life and we think about our own lives. Is like when God calls us immediately, when God says, I want you to do this, I need you to do this, I'm ready for you to do this, and we go, okay, I'll get to it. Well, maybe later. I, I, I will eventually get around to it. Delayed obedience doesn't change God's calling. I'm going to say it again. Delayed obedience doesn't change God's calling. Parents in this room understand this when they ask their kids to clean their room. I need you to clean your room. I need you to clean your bathroom. My kids were amazing at this. Dodging. No, yeah, not, not the obedience part. No, 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 no. It was the, hey, I need your help. I need you to clean your room. I need you to do this, do the dishes, do your chores, do the da 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 And then they would just disappear. Be honest, how many of you in this room know what I'm talking about? And you're like, didn't I ask? Oh, the kids are raising their hands. Okay, that's good. I thought the kid goes, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm good like that. <laughs> as soon as mom says, do the dishes, I'm gone. I'm like hiding under the car outside. My kids were fantastic at it. All of a sudden, I'm like, didn't I just ask them an hour ago to do this certain thing? And then, you know, all of a sudden, where are they? Oh, I'm sorry, I had to go to the bathroom. For four hours? That stopped working after a while. But look, delayed obedience doesn't change God's calling. And it doesn't change the, God, the calling that he gives us. If God is saying change jobs, if God is saying change schools, if God is saying change a career path, if God is saying change all, whatever it may be. Or maybe God is saying change something that you're doing in your life that's not causing good things to come out of your life. That's a calling. And maybe we should repent and get on that. God gave Nineveh a second chance, of course. Jonah began to go into the city, and we see this in verse 4 and 5. And he went into the city, just a recap here, and he said, listen, in 40 days, it's all going to be overthrown. It's done. And people of Nineveh, they actually believe God. You know, if I was to go down in the middle of Austin right now and say, hey, everybody, this is going to happen. Not too many people probably believe it. So something happened here. The Spirit of God had to be moving in this place for the, when it says, and the people of Nineveh, Nineveh believe God. And they called for a fast. So repentance begins for us by getting off the throne. Look at this first verse in verse 6. Repentance begins by getting off the throne. The word, of the, the word reached the king of Nineveh. So the word of verse 5, that hey, in 40 days, this is going to happen, reached him. It doesn't say how it reached him. It doesn't say that Jonah had a personal sit down with him. I don't think that's what happened. I think he was, Jonah was preaching repentance. He was preaching change. It probably started maybe at the castle gates with the, you know, the people, but it got to him. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, which means he took himself off the throne saying, hey, I'm no better than anybody else. I'm taking off the throne. I'm getting off the throne. I'm removing my robe, covered uh, himself with sackcloth, and he sat in the ashes. Here's what he did. He humbled himself. And for us to have true repentance in our lives, it begins by getting off the throne and humbling ourselves to say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not higher than anyone else. And look what he also says. 
Remember, 3.5 points out that the belief in God had spread throughout the city, and the word reaches him. But the main, most important part is here, the message of God spread quickly. And he removed himself from power by getting off the throne. Saying, it's not the power, I don't have power in this. He also then took off his robe and put on sackcloth. And some of you are saying, well, what is sackcloth? That's a good question. Um, I will give you a little idea what sackcloth is. But this is how he responded. Um, he responded by getting off the throne. He took his royal robe off, right? He took himself out of comfortability. He says, I'm not going to be comfortable. And he dressed in sackcloth. And so, again, you ask, what is sackcloth? That's a good question. So sackcloth is mentioned several times in the Bible. It's a type of clothing. I actually went to um, uh, 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 Old Navy, and they sell, uh, sell this there. No. It's not Louis Vuitton sackcloth, okay? It is, um, this is burlaps, which is very similar to sackcloth, okay? It's not, but this is what it was kind of material was made out of. It was made out of goat hair, um, normally black um, goat hair, and it was very uncomfortable. And there's a deep spiritual meaning in this. The biblical meaning sackcloth was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of grief. It was a sign of mourning. Um, and, and it reminded people of their sinfulness and the need for God's forgiveness. It was very uncomfortable. It was itchy. It would scratch the skin. And it would take off everything and just wear this. And it would remind them, man, how much I need God. I would take off my comfortable clothes and put on something uncomfortable to continue reminding me how much I need him and how much I need his repentance. Now, it was made out of goat. So, I, you know, when you read this text, it says that even the animals had sackcloth on them. And you know there had to be a goat going, is this my uncle? No. Um, but it, <laughs> so this is why this is. But it also, though, what comes with this, and I didn't bring this up here. I wanted to show you what this looked like, but I didn't bring ashes. Ashes also came along with sackcloth. There was sackcloth, yeah, but it also he sat among the ashes. In the Bible, sackcloth always associated with ashes. So that when one was in the sackcloth, we often hear of this act of where they would put either ashes on the head, put ashes on the ground and sit in it. And the ashes were added to the sackcloth as a sign of ruin, completely nothing, burnt, gone, ashes. It showed that one was in absolute grief and humility due to their actions. That's what the ashes meant. It was said that the ashes symbolized dust from which God formed us. And when you go back to Genesis, he breathed life into the dust. And we would sit in that dust. The issue um, of the citywide decree requires fasting, sackcloth, and permanent prayer. And, and I think it's very interesting that he gave this decree to all the people. He identified himself, and this is what he really did. He identified himself, this king did. And we could put ourselves in this king's position. Everything works out. I'm comfortable. I have a comfortable life. I have a comfortable home. I have a comfortable job. Everything seems to be okay for me. But we all need repentance. He identified himself with the rest of the people guilty before God. And he devoted himself approving and participating also in repentance with the people. This whole thing is a message of repentance. This whole story from Nineveh is this message of turning. Remember, as Jonah entered Nineveh, he proclaimed it. He said this powerful message of repentance, declaring that in 40 days it was going to be overturned. And then astonishing the people. Oh, I, got a little, I got a little sackcloth all over me. All right, I need to repent. All right, hold on. Um, it, 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 the people of Nineveh, 
in this great city repented. And that was so great. And what I get from this is this. When we get honest with God and ourselves, it opens the door for God to begin his work. Listen to this again. When we get honest with God, and too many times we can say, no, nah, I'm good. You know, you've heard me say this a million times, what we do with sin. We do these three things. We rationalize sin. If we rationalize it, is it still sin? Sin is this, any violation of God's will. So anytime we go against God's will or anything against God, well, that is sin. So we rationalize it. We can justify it. If we justify sin, is it still sin? 100%. And I think the biggest one that we do, way too much, and I know I've done and probably still do today, because I need repentance as much as anybody, is this. We minimize sin. We minimize it. Well, it's just a little. Oh, it's just a small amount. It's just a tiny bit. I, I, I'm good. No, it's still sin. And so when we can get honest with God and ourselves, it really opens this incredible door for God to do and begin his work in our lives. But what happens is it, it, you have to change. You have to turn from the world and turn toward God. I, I need, could y'all both come up here? I know. Yeah, both of you. I know, I know. Come here, come here. I know. You're, hey, this is what happens when you sit on the front row, okay? This is why all those people back there don't sit on the front row. Here, come here. I want you to hold these signs for me, okay? One says world. I'm going to give that to you, okay? And this one says God, all right? Hold it so everybody can see it. Yes. So, so we have the world. Be, be worldly. Okay, there you go. All right. And you are, well, you're not God. but you, you, No, no, but that's okay. Be godly. Okay, that's good. That's, that's fine. So here's what, though, face me, if y'all would, with both sides. Okay, and I want to give you just this, just so y'all can see this, all right? So what happens is if we turn to the world and, and we follow the world, and, and what are we doing? We put our back against God. Our back is against Him. So we don't hear Him, we don't see Him, we're not talking to Him, because we're, we're now facing in this. But when we have a repent moment, when we repent and we say we're sorry, we're saying, hey, God, I'm turning now from the world, putting the world at my back, and now I'm facing God. And the Bible says in James chapter 4, it says when you draw near to God, he'll do what? He'll draw near to you. And we're putting now our back against the world, and we're drawing toward God. This is a picture of repentance. This is what repentance means. We're standing in the middle. We have God here and the world here. Sin, God. And for us, on a daily, we have to turn against that. Because let's be honest, temptation, is it real? It sometimes this draws us, yes. It's very easy to be drawn in by the world. Oh, that looks pretty. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that feels good. Oh, that looks good. Oh, ah. And you have to get to a place where God puts you on your knees and say, I'm turning my back to this and i got to continue to draw near. And the more we draw near to him, the better our life is. Do you agree with that? 100%. Good job. Thank you so much for holding the sign. Yes. As a parting gift. Yeah, it's for you. Take it home. I'll sign it later. No, I'm kidding. Um, we turn away, and when we turn away from the world and toward God, we draw near to him. And moving in the direction of God, we move further away from the world. As we move toward him and he draws near to us, we move further and further away from him. 
And remember what he says here in Jonah, this last part here, Jonah chapter 3, 9 through 10. says, who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what, he had, what the people had did, what he had done, they turned from their evil ways. That's the most important part today. Listen to this. They turned. And, and, and that, to me, I really want you to hear this today, is really what repentance is. It's this turning away from those things and toward God. The Bible says that the old is gone, the new has come, and you become a brand new creation. You turn. In Ephesians 4, it says when you come one with Christ, you take off the old self and you put on a new self. And you become new. You turn away from the world and you go toward God. This is what they did. Nineveh repented. God relented and a nation was saved. Man, what's so great is that God offers us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a five million chance. But God's heart is to restore if we are willing to repent. God's heart is to restore us. And when we fall, all of us in this room, in this place, we fall short of the glory of God. And this is why we need him so much. God's response, uh, God's heart is to restore if we're willing to repent. And God responded with mercy to the city of Nineveh. He responded with mercy and he said, okay, I'm not going to destroy it. And God will respond with mercy to us when we get on our knees and we say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I'm turning from the world. I'm turning toward God. And, and I'm, I'm giving it all to you. In Jeremiah 18, God said that any nation on which he had pronounced judgment would be saved if repented. And that goes for us too. Repentance, you repent to be saved. That's your first time repenting to God. If you, you repent to be saved, it's like, Lord, forgive me. I've made a mistake, I've messed up, I've sinned, and I need you to forgive me. Come into my heart and rescue me and save me. And in that moment, God, write your name in the Lamb's book of life and you're saved for eternity. But then we spend, in, I, long, I mean, until the day we die, repenting. Because we're sinful. And we fall. And the world is tempting, just like I said a moment ago. So then we spend a lifetime, just, I mean, daily sometimes. Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, man, that guy cut me off. What was I supposed to do? I had to hit him. I mean, you know, we repent. Well, don't hit anybody. God forgave Nineveh just as he had forgiven Jonah. And the purpose of God's judgment is correction, not revenge. This is important to understand. God's judgment is correction, not revenge. It's correcting. He is always ready to show compassion to anyone willing to, to see him. In the same way there is joy, in, in, in Luke chapter 15 it says, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels. Look at this, when even one sinner repents. If just one repents, there is joy in heaven. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty incredible. That shows me that how important repentance is. So the response of Nineveh teaches us this. Genuine repentance involves a turning away from sin a change of heart, and a commitment to follow God's ways. I'm going to say it again. I want you to soak this in. The response of Nineveh teaches us genuine, real repentance. Not, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, my bad. And not really mean it. Those, again, parents, 
who have had kids who have gotten into fights and you've said, hey, y'all need to apologize and move on. Or I'm going to take your phones or I'm going to whatever. Who's ever done that? Yeah. And then they're like, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Was that real? No, that wasn't real. It's genuine repentance. That means, no, I am broken. I'm broken. The fact that is, I'm not that I did something wrong. It's not that, oh, I got caught. But what's important is, for us to understand, is repentance is that what I did hurt God. The sin hurt him. The one who saved me. The one who loved me. The one who went to the cross for me. The one who died for me. That is who I don't want to hurt. And when we sin, we're hurting God. We're holding the nail that's going through the hand. We're holding the whip that's going across his back and his arms and his legs. That's what that sin did. So a turning away from sin, a change of heart, and a commitment to follow God's ways. It also reminds us that no one is beyond the reach of God's transformation power. No one is. No one is beyond the reach of God's transformation power. But it takes change. So I don't know if you've heard of this comic strip that they had back in the day. It was called uh, The Peanuts and a guy named Charlie Brown. Do you all remember Charlie Brown? Anybody remember Charlie Brown? Okay, well, uh, if you haven't, let me tell you about him. Here's this little dude. He didn't have a lot of hair. He kind of walked around, and he had this love and dream of kicking a football. Anybody know this story? That's all he wanted, all right? I figured this would be a great illustration for Super Bowl Sunday. He always wanted to kick this football. And there's this comic strip, and I read this. And and, and so this girl would always say she would hold it. And what was her name? Oh, see, y'all know this story. Okay, so Lucy, and apparently um, she was a psychiatrist. uh, And I don't think she was licensed. I don't know if she, I'm not sure. But you could get advice from her. But she would always uh, tell Charlie, hey, kick the football and I'm going to hold it for you. He would get excited. He would get pumped up. He would run toward the football. And he would then, what happened? She pulls it. And he would go fly and land on his back. Well, one day he's walking by. And, and, yeah, kind of like that. Well, one day she's walking by. And, and he's walking by. And here comes Lucy. She's holding the football. She says, hey, hey, you want to kick the fall? You want to kick the ball? She's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You, you've got me so many times. There's no way. I've, second, third, fourth, it's like going to Whataburger. I'm not doing this again, okay. And she deeply says, hey, listen, Charlie, I'm sorry. You're right. I've messed up. I 100% messed up. I've, to- I've pulled that football time in and time again. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to do it again, Okay. Just go kick the ball, okay? Do it. He's like, are you sure? She's like, absolutely. I got you, Charlie. He goes, this is it. This is my moment. This is going to happen. So he goes back and even further than he's ever gone back. And he gets all the way back there and he's trucking going, oh man, everything in his mind is going, this is the day. This is going to happen. I can't believe this. I'm finally going to kick this football. And right when he gets to the football, as he reaches back, right you see behind you, behind me, that happens. She pulls it away and he goes flying in the air up high. You know in his mind he's going, what? She did it again. As he just floated in the air. 
this just happened. She did it again. I can't believe I allowed this. And she's a psychiatrist. This is not good. All right. He hits the ground. And this is the part I want you to hear. And you come out and start patting and play real soft for me, please. She walks up to him. And she looks down. And this is what she says right here. She says, recognizing your faults and actually changing your ways are two different things, Charlie Brown. Listen to this again. See, all day long we can say we're sorry. All day long we can repent. All day long we can say whatever. But look at what this says again. It says recognizing our faults and actually changing our ways are two different things. They're absolutely two different things. It's not our hearing God's word that pleases him, but it's responding to it obediently. Here comes the obedient part again. It's absolutely saying, okay, God, I hear what you're saying, and now I have to respond to it immediately. And what happens in this case with Nineveh, we see with the story of Jonah in itself. Jonah was called. He didn't go, did not change the calling. It was still there. He still had to call. He was then had some repercussions because he didn't follow. He was given a second chance. Hey, man, go. He said, okay, I'm going. And he goes to this city, and the city was going to be destroyed. The city was going to be wiped out. The city was violent. It was horrible. It, it had so many things against it. These people in Nineveh were known for their torture tactics. It was so violent. It was so crazy how bad they were. Go read about it. It's unbelievable the things that they did. And God restored them. And you got to go, well, how is that? That's wild. You mean they can just get completely restored? Yeah, you know why? Because they repented. And they turned. They turned from the world and the violence. And they turned toward God. That made the difference. And what was great about this last part here is when they got there, it happened. And it probably happened pretty quickly. I mean, it took a while for, I guess, the word to come around. But it's, as soon as the king got off the throne, as soon as he took off his robe, as soon as he laid, laid this decree down, it happened. And the city repented. Do we live in a city that needs to repent? But for our city to repent, we have to repent. See, a lot of times we're like, oh yeah, they need to repent. No, I need to repent. Too many times it's, oh, well, they did, they did, they did. Well, look what they're doing. Look at the, well, I'm not doing what they're doing. I'm not doing what they're saying. I'm not saying what they say. I don't watch what they watch. I don't listen to what they listen to. I'm not doing what they're doing. But in our own hearts, it's dirty. And we need repentance. And we have to act in obedience. This next thing that we're going to do, and we're not done yet. We're almost done. I, uh. Very excited about it. we're going to do a baptism in this moment. And yeah, we celebrate baptisms. This one is a little special, a little different. Uh, this is my father in law, 82 years old. 
I got some of his testimony here, and I had to actually, re we wrote it out, but Doug was born in 1941, and on the third day of his birth, he was actually baptized in a Catholic church. And I'll come over here, I'll get close to you. So the next 80 years or so, you know, just going through spiritual doubt, you've had life tragedies, you've had gone through alcoholism, you've gone through multiple near-death experiences. I mean, God, man, he's had his hand on you for a long, long time. And these were countered, uh, however, by many wonderful events, it says that he wrote, it says, but it assured him uh, life had something. When you were seven, you wrote that you asked your mom, you said, hey, why was I baptized? And she said, well, it was necessary requirement uh, to go to heaven. And you, you said, well, you just simply believed that statement. Well, through the next rest of your life, Doug explained in, in, in this that he never really understood how it worked. And he was sure he believed in God, but felt distant relationship with him. Doug knew that the story of Christ began with the Son of God, but was not aware of what the relationship looked like. There's the difference. Doug began to think about baptism and think about his life and three days, how can a, a three-day-old understand repentance and salvation? And then you wrote this, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> As you began to seek more information, uh, your daughter married an up-and-coming evangelist preacher. <laughs> Back in 2000. Yeah. And through that time, you found the true meaning of salvation and baptism. You wrote, it took 23 years for me to believe I was worthy enough and consider a believer's baptism. Today I have the courage to do this in public. So here I am, ready to go all in with believer's baptism. Maybe by doing it will help someone else decide to do the same thing. See, for me, I think the coolest part about this is the obedience part. Because you said that God said to you, it's time. And you obeyed. It's just like what we've been talking about. Repentance starts with obedience. And you obeyed that call. Even though, I mean, 80, you're 47 years old. Um, no. You, you, you listen to God's voice. And God said, this is it. This is time. And so I'm proud of you and I'm thankful for you. And I'm praying that this moment here, not only for those who are watching, but for you, is just this next step in this journey uh, that you've been on of following Jesus. So I'm going to have uh, Tom or Colton come help me here. We're going we're gonna to get you in here. I'm going to hold you like this. And it is warm. Got it. How warm is it? Good? It's warm. It's warm. Okay. It's going to be nice for your bones there. Here, you want to take that? You got it? All right. So you'll sit on your bottom, face this direction. All right. Now, you may have to stay here in a while. No, I'm just kidding. Hang on. Doug, man, I'm proud of you. Thankful for you being my father-in-law more than anything, my friend, and uh, I'm excited about today for you, and uh, the question I have for you is this, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Absolutely. And you believe, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
All right. Well, with that profession of faith, you'll grab your nose. You put that hand on there, and I'll grab your hand. I got you. So with that profession of faith, it's my honor and my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of Christ, raised to walk in newness. continue worshiping and we're going to pray but I'm going to ask you right here as you just witnessed a life changed doesn't matter how old you are God can still move in your heart so I ask you in this moment right here where I'm standing and, and, and where you're standing would you do this for me right now would you look into your heart and ask yourself this question? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? I guarantee you I would have asked Doug this question if he could have gone back a long time ago and, and made Jesus the Lord of his life, he would have. So is this morning your morning to accept Christ in your life? Have you stepped over that line? Have you confessed your sins, repented, and said, okay, God, I'm all in? If you haven't, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to give you that opportunity right here, right now, to look into your heart and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ loved you, died for you, gave you a place in heaven. And if you right here, right now want that, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. But if you're saying, that's me, that's where I'm at right here, right now, then I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Jesus, I come to you humbly and I repent. I say, I'm sorry. And I know right now that I need you. I'm tired of playing religion. And I need a relationship. I'm ready to follow you. I'm tired of running. Hey, God, I'm ready to go all in. Thank you, Jesus. With no one looking around. If you just prayed that prayer right here, right now, and you believe it in your heart that you just asked Jesus to come into your life, to rescue, to save you, would you put your hand up and say, that's me? Anybody in this place? Right here. Would you put it up high? Put it up high. Unashamed, unafraid. Would you put it up high? Do, do you really truly believe that? Would you come here right here? Would you, if you believe it, come here right here. If, if I saw a hand back there. If you have, would you just come right here? If you just today, right here, right now, just ask Jesus to come into your life unashamed, unafraid, 
This is not rededication. This is not repentance. This is not any of that. This is right here, right now. I believe that I just asked Jesus to rescue me, to save me. I'm asking him right here, right now to come into my heart, to come into my life. Was there anybody else that says, you know what? Hey, listen, (laughs) unashamed is the word I'm using here. You should not be afraid in the house of the Lord right here, right now, what anybody thinks. If you just prayed and asked Jesus to come in your life, would you step out of your chair and come stand with those that are standing right here? Anybody else? And I'm going to move on. Okay, I see you. Come on. I'll give you a minute. I know sometimes it takes a minute. I know sometimes it takes you. You're thinking through it. You're walking through it. I understand. And it's okay to be broken. Alex, I'm going to ask you to come. and Ed. witnessed an amazing thing today. Starts with repentance and moves to salvation. Yeah, thank you, Steve. And maybe Susan, if you, Susan would come. There's some ladies down here. I know Vicki would normally be here. She's with her dad. But would y'all look at me? And Do you believe that today that Jesus Christ became your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that today? Just you're going to give me a little head nod. This is where you're at. You believe that today you repented of your sins and you asked Jesus to come into your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Yeah? Man, we're praying for you, okay. 